This is a Voice It podcast. I'm KLG and each episode I'll bring to you different stories from business people across the UK on It's Your Business. Everyone has a story to tell. Why not voice it? Voiceitpr.com. Welcome to this episode of It's Your Business. I have with me Ross McWilliam, the man who changed a million lives. Hello. Hello, KLG. How are you today? Yeah, really good, thank you. Really nice to have you on. Now, Ross, I've followed you for a long time on LinkedIn. I've met up with you. I know a lot about your previous businesses, but you're working quite a lot at the moment with the mental health first aid, and that is really taken off a lot of people very much wanting the staff to have a certificate in mental health first aid and have gone through that course with you. So let's just jump back first to who's Ross and what have you done previously that led you to this? Yeah, I like your introduction, the man who changed a million lives. And I say that sometimes tongue in cheek, and I can't specifically give you evidence for that, but it's based on 35 years of working with people through formal education, through professional sports, and then last 15 years as a freelance speaker. So it's my speaking, it's my training, it's the books I write and the TV appearances I have. I think I've connected with over a million people. So, you know, it's all about performance. But as you rightly said, you know, really, in real terms, since the pandemic started, it's all been about mental health and well-being. My journey started before then, but it really accelerated when the pandemic started and everybody had to learn online how to deliver. And there was an increased need for people to to look after themselves. And then organisations worked it out and and thought, you know, we'd look, look after our people because then they'll look after the business, be more productivity, producing uh, goods, services and connections with people. So really, the pandemic brought a lot of people to you online. Was it easy to adapt? Because you had already started this. Was it easy for you to adapt? Um, Well, technically, um, online platforms, you know, and technology, some people are quite scared of that. But when the need is necessary, you will learn, I think, pretty quickly, and you're eager. So I had a lot of frustrations initially, uh, connectivity, bandwidth, and contents, and and, and styles of how to use, for instance, uh, chat rooms and online quizzes and make it interactive. Because it sounds, and it is a long time online, some of the two-day courses, people have a, a preconception, they won't be able to last it. But often I find when they've done the two days with this variety of learning styles, they actually want more. And I think that's a testament, not just to me, but also to some of the content from MHFA and the way I sort of blend it around to, you know, would I get bored listening to that? Would I be interested in this approach? So I try to use that experience of 35 years to engage with people. So learning becomes almost inevitable rather than unsure. So what type of companies engage with you? Is it everybody and anybody or are you aiming at specific organisations? Well, that's a great opportunity to name drop, isn't it? Um, I've worked with some massive companies. I didn't intend it. They they just come along. You know, I I get a lot of my work through other larger international companies and I get some direct to me. But through those two channels, I've worked with IBM, Santander, Netherlands, Ministry of Justice, 
Um, yesterday I was working Manchester Airport groups. That's my third visit there. I've worked with the Home Office. I've, I've worked with organisations such as Kaplan and Beckel, big, big international companies. And one recently in London, NTT Global, and they were telling me the other day they just acquired another company. They stand at about 150,000 employees. So you've got some big organisations there. So what is in this course then? Let's delve into the course itself. So mental health first aid. A lot of people think it's something new. Now, I did the mental health first aid years ago, uh, but I was working in care services then. And to me, it came around from about there. Am I right? Or did I just pick it up there? No, there's many providers of mental health training. Uh, mental health first aid who I'm accredited to and with they've been in operation since 2007 delivering mental health in this country and they took that from Australia uh, when it started in 2001 so the packages I deliver have been in the evidence space for over 20 years now but there's other organizations like Young Minds Mental Health Foundation Heads Together there's lots of organizations who deliver um, accredited and unaccredited training and, and I think that's the first differentiation. So, you know, the, there's different courses within MHFA, half day, one day, two days, youth awards, veterans awards. And I also deliver my own in-house courses where I call elite mental health. So how to get the edge and policy knowledge and understanding. But then this is the interesting and crucial part of it. How do you then make an impact with your workforce, with your family, with your friends? So you can have the knowledge, but if that knowledge isn't applied effectively, is that training worthwhile? So let's open the training box then. I come along, I'm on a day's training, for example. What sort of things am I going to learn about that I can apply to either myself or other people in the organisation that I'm in? Yeah, I'll come to detail in a second, but we'll give you the, the skills and the competencies for you to feel confident to, to be aware of what's out there in terms of mental health signs and symptoms. So that leaning more towards mental ill health, but also identifying conditions like anxiety, depression, self-harm, psychosis, OCD, phobias. So we can run across all those, and this is what each one is. Then we'll look at some of the warning signs for people. Uh, and warning signs, in, in a simplistic way, revolve around the word change. So I, for example, I couldn't say, um, oh, Kath, you're crying, you must be depressed. Because you might never have cried, but you still could be depressed. It's the changing crying. So if I said that Kath never cries, and then she starts crying more, that could be, could be a sign of depression. Same with sleeping, eating, smoking, drinking, avoidance of people, this ability to or inability to perform in public and coming away from that spotlight. So the course will be about looking at the warning signs and how we listen to people. And here's an interesting learning point. Um, a big strand of the mental health first aid training is how to listen without judging. So you don't say, if somebody's suicidal, oh, come off that bridge, don't jump, what will your mum and dad think? That's an assumption that you're making a judgment on them. And so we try to make it non-judgmental, listen authentically, interesting what somebody said without putting a cliched answer to make someone feel ultimately guilty. Yeah. They say you've got two ears and one mouth for a reason, so you should be listening. 
but also the power of your words in that situation. Like you say, you might actually trigger something. You've got to know what to say as well, haven't you, in those scenarios? Yeah. You know, we've got a format, but everybody can blend that format to their personality. But there's there's a common trend within, for instance, we're talking about suicide, being direct and asking somebody if they're going to jump, why are you up there? Are you suicidal? And then we can go through some pathways of yes and no, but again, you're trying to get information from somebody. You're trying to show non-judgment of who they are and where they are. And the longer you can keep that conversation and that listening going, the more likely that suicide will not occur. And that's not a guarantee, but mm. we know that suicide is time limited. People don't feel suicidal 24-7. It comes in impulses and waves. So if you're with somebody, listening, engaging with them, that wave could start there. It could quickly go down to there. And then we've got rational thoughts because a lot of suicide, not all, but a lot of suicide is irrational thought, pain, escape. I, I want to end this. And, and we know that once people start getting the support and thinking rationally, that viewpoint often changes. What sort of reactions do you get in that environment when you're training people? Because I know myself when I went through something similar and I could probably do with an updated one. But I do vividly remember the shock and horror and, well, disbelief on people's faces about what the trainer was telling us. And, you know, these subtle changes in people could be a big red flag that we need to be looking out for, the way that we speak to people. And and I remember it was silent a lot of the time. We were silent with mouths open going, Really? We didn't know that, but we thought we knew it. This is the difference. We thought we knew before we went into the training, but we didn't. We didn't know. There's a lot of preconceptions about training, and I'm very keen to not sweep things under the carpet, to lay the facts out and be direct, as we just mentioned about suicide. But my personal view is if you are very intense all the time, especially on two days training, learning won't be effective. There's got to be some lighter moments and there's got to be some, it sounds strange to say, but laughter and joy sometimes that we're working together. We feel connected. We feel supported. And it shouldn't be too intense all the time, although it's a very serious subject matter. And so often I I, I talk about keeping people safe in the room, ask you questions. If you want to leave the room, you can do. And I say it's not in any way sinister. It's just these are the facts and we're better knowing about them than not knowing about them. But, you know, I've had people cry, I've had people leave the room, I've had people laughing, I've had people making friendships, supporting each other. But overwhelmingly, the thought is that most people leave the training thinking that they've progressed their learning, but also what they don't expect and what they're thankful they receive is some understanding about their own mental health. And that's like a jigsaw puzzle. They don't come in looking for that. No. But when they leave, they go, it affected me, Ross, ways I didn't think were affecting me, but not in a bad way. I can look at my own self now and put myself back together better. And that, that's something I find very rewarding from my side of things. I was just going to say, I mean, it must be tiring for you delivering that kind of thing a lot. But like you say, you put in fun quizzes, you try to lighten it a little bit. Like you say, you don't want to go into, especially a two-day thinking, oh, I'm going to listen to all this you would feel you were listening to horrendous stuff for two days, but you're not. So you make it 
active, you make it fun, you make it interactive, etc. But like you say, a lot of people could be in there with their own mental health issues who've been asked to go on it with their company and, and not even know that these things are going to come up. And you might be inadvertently helping them and not know that you are because they've not even said so. Oh, I had that last week and I set my stall down to tell them about the course, to tell them, you know, to keep them safe. Then a young lady just stood up and walked out. Now, you know, I, I tend to work with the organiser beforehand. Are there any known situations where people really struggle at the moment and we can identify that and work to help them be inclusive in the room? In that case last week, we, we talked to the lady afterwards and there was something going on that she didn't reveal, but she came back the next day. And she did yeah. the next course and she was very thankful she did. And we're thankful she came back and joined us and contributed. So nothing, nothing's ever foolproof, but I'm very much aware now after doing this for so many years, not just mental health, but training in general. It's not about me. It's not about all my knowledge. It's about how we can make people feel safe to ask the questions, to learn at their own way, to learn at their own rate, to empower them so they can then go and empower change in their organizations. And for me, that's the one thing I've learned the last few years. It's not about really what I know. It's about how I make people grow in that environment. Yeah, how you're passing on that knowledge that they can then grow and go and use that within their organisation. Because, I mean, you've changed a million lives, touched a million lives, but you can't speak to everyone. So these people are going out into the workplace and kind of doing that for you in a way changing lives but via you um so if somebody's sitting in an office and notice a change in melanie across the way and that every day she suddenly started going out for a cigarette when she didn't used to or she's going out for three cigarettes because when she was younger she used to smoke and she's suddenly feeling stressed out I mean, are you saying you should approach that type of person and just say, I've noticed you're now going out for a couple of cigarettes. Are you okay? You're very pertinent on that because, you know, we're, we're not here to diagnose. We're not here always to solve. Most of the time we're here to support and listen. Uh, and that word you just said, that phrase you said before, is a classic phrase we often use, I've noticed. And when you say it, I've noticed, calf that you're, you're, you're going to work later these days or, or you're smoking in your example. Um, that could be a nice starter. I tend to go for a softer approach and I just say something along the lines, if someone's not been around for so long, I might just say, I've missed your calf. Or yeah. I might just go outside and say, I don't know how you do it going out all the time. It's freezing out here. Um, and that might get a conversation going indirectly, which might lead to why somebody's doing something more often. And that mm. word we talked about before, that change. There's a nuance to how you listen and how you so engage people. And if you're too forthright and sit down opposite somebody, right, tell me the problems, I'm going to solve them all. Most people will not do anything with you and not share with you. So it's not sneaky. It's just about being genuine, authentic. And, you know, often in life, it sounds strange thing to say this, but we quote a woman called Brenny Brown, and, and she often talks about being connected. And she said, not often do we get real clear solutions in life, but the thought of being connected and supported could be the solution. So that mm -hmm. process of being listened to, cared for, 
um, you know, you know, someone who is of value is a big thing in in, in recovery. And you think about the NHS, the great example. I know you've been there recently, Cal. Um, but when you go to the NHS or even go to a doctor's, when you feel cared for or listened to, the healing process is much more effective. Simple yeah, as that. Absolutely. I never thought of it like that. So just reaching out to somebody and making them feel valued and listened to and cared for might just be enough for them to open up and then do you then have signposts to what happens next or where they go next yeah you you can't force anybody to do anything that's my big belief and and a long time ago i used to work with some very challenged um, children and young adults and the more you tried to force it and they really needed it the more they wouldn't take it so at some point when you feel it's right in your conversation or when somebody specifically asks for something you know, I've got lists of organisations like, for instance, Hub of Hope. You can put it in the internet with your postcode. It'll come out for mental health services around your area. And there's a, a counsellor, uh, an anonymous counsellor you can text. If you want to speak to somebody, you can text somebody, 741-741, and you can get some support. A bit like the Samaritans, but a bit more niche. And, and th- there's loads of organisations out there. Literally, about a day, more and more are coming together. And, and I think... It can be overwhelming. And my always first answer, stock answer is, maybe let's go and see the GP and do you want me to come with you? You know, and just give you some support there. I can sit outside or sit with you, whatever it works for you, it works for me. And let's start there and let's take it from there. And we could do, here's a nice word, we could do some cold Googling together and look for different support groups and things. Um, But it's just the process. Again, that process of being with somebody and sometimes that nice distraction, that support, starts us on the upswing again, which is really important. Core Googling, that's a new one, isn't it? I'm going to throw another one for you now then as well, since we're on that topic. There's an international company I work with, and talking about being discreet and nuanced, they don't call them mental health days, they call them like litter-picking days, and then people just talk naturally about stuff. We're on the headline, and you must do this. They disguise it with something else. And one did, did it recently, and a word that's interesting, and I take a risk with you now, and this is from Scandinavia, but it's, a, it's a, an activity that people do, and it's called plogging, P-L-O-G-G-I-N-G, plogging. Plogging. And before your mind wanders off, plogging is to do with litter picking and exercise. And so people, this organisation, organised events to, to clean the planet but have these informal conversations about mental health at the same time. But the word mental health was not mentioned. And it's yeah. a very clever way of doing it. Plotting. Very clever. Because I think that is what puts people off. That's what pre- puts people off seeking help. Yeah. Because when you say the word mental health, it's like, oh, I haven't got mental health issues. Because for years, there was a stigma attached. There was many years ago. It's come to the, the fore now. Obviously, lots of people talk about it. It's, it's acceptable to talk about your mental health. But there's still a lot of people that if they thought they were going to a mental health day to talk to each other, they wouldn't go. And you're right, if we're going to a litter-picking day, we'll go along. So I love plogging. In fact, I'm picking up my pencil. I'm writing down yeah. plogging. Well, you're writing that down then. I'll pick up another point because it feels like um, you're interviewing me, but you'll give me some good things to remember here. 
we've all got mental health and there is a stigma around it and especially a stigma with men. Mental health, not me. I'm strong. I've got to be the breadwinner. I've got to do this. So that shows weakness. If we call mental health, mind fitness, you know, everybody wants it. But when we oh, call yeah. mental, the historical <laughs> and cultural connection, what that goes with, say back in the 80s, mental was asylum and happy pills and people having breakdowns. And it sort of never lost that stigma with it. Mm. So I think something to do with the word, but we've all got mental health. Some days it's high, some days it's compromised. And mental health is about going with the ups and downs of life. Life isn't happy, clappy 24-7. If it is, you tell me, because I haven't experienced that in 61 years. So we've all got mental health. It's working out, self-awareness, what's what's compromising that? Is it that poor sleep? Is it the exercise? Is it having no focus in life, low self-esteem, no purpose? Is it that, you know, I'm going out late and, and alcohol and this, that, and the other? And is that really, as my body's getting older, less tolerant to disease, do I need to be smart and change up with that and work with my body rather than work against it? I love that, the, the mind fitness. You're right. I think if that was repositioned for men's mental health, just a mind fitness, I'm sure it would have a lot more take up. But you're right. I think for me and for lots of people I see around me and speak to, the sense of purpose is huge. If you haven't got a sense of purpose in your life, it does affect your mental health. Do you know what? It's one of my seminal points. And I, I don't mind strategies, breathing techniques, mindfulness, relaxation, therapy, yoga. They've all got their own place. But if you're trying to put that strategy on top of no foundation, and when I say no foundation, no purpose in life, what's your, what's your modem around this each day? What's your goals? What's your aspirations? How's your self-esteem? It ain't going to settle. And so it becomes futile. And certain groups of people who are maybe vulnerable at times with the mental health and the living situations and the financial situations, it's very patronizing and almost dangerous to suggest that mindfulness will cure all the problems and make them well again. And I don't think we'll say that in, in an obvious way, but I think there's an inferred aspect to that. You just need to look after your well-being and everything will be right. Well, actually, it's not that simple. And so once we start to unpick mental health and well-being, there's many layers to it. And when we talk about people's historical experiences, their social experiences from the birth to the school, to the housing, to the friendships, to the relationships. And we know from this, we can detail statistics, which shows people to be more vulnerable than others. And that's where we differentiate our offering to them. Yeah. I mean, it's an absolutely massive topic. So we can't, talk about it all day here on this podcast today but what we can do is we can say to organizations if you want the mental health first aid training from you how do they get it well how do they get in touch with you well it's easy they listen and download this podcast or they go to ross at rossmacwilliam.com or just go to mindset pro put mindset pro in the Google search and you'll see a young chap pop up and there's some details there about all this sort of stuff. But yeah, it's fascinating, you know, and some people, as I said before, some people are curious and they come on the course and they leave the courses and, and they didn't expect it. But I always call it a nice surprise because ultimately 
you're going to get improvements on yourself and your self-performance. Whether that performance is with your friends, your family, with your workforce, or with yourself, that self-performance is important because if we self-sabotage ourselves, ultimately, it's a game you're not going to win. And it could compromise your life, not always in years, but in terms of quality and health span. And I think it's very important that we grab the days as they come along and you know make the days count rather than count the days, especially those people going for retirement. Absolutely. Make the most of it. And aging positively, Ross, you and I, going forward, aging positively. That's what I like to think with our mind fitness and everything else that's going along with it. Thank you so much for talking to me today. And it's been lovely speaking to you. Thank you for listening to this episode. I'll see you next time. Voiceitpr.com.